Thank you for listening to the Grace Hill Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Thoughts begin to come into your head. But what might be more frustrating sometimes uh, than, than necessarily the way that we, we handle our anxiety might be, in some cases, what we actually have anxiety about. Show of hands. How many of you would be embarrassed to stand up in front of the church and say something that you have had anxiety about? How, how many of you guys? You all need to repent because you're all liars, every one of you. We all have those things that we have in our life that we just go, why am I so anxious about this? And what's ironic to me about anxiety, it would be so easy if the things that we were anxious about were all bad, but a lot of times the things that we're anxious about can actually be good things. And that can be so frustrating to be worried, to be worked up, and in my case, sometimes too emotional and too erratic about something that is good. So just so we're all on the same page, let's talk a little bit just medically about anxiety. Can we do that for just a minute? Because we're gonna combat anxiety from a spiritual side, but just to make sure we're all on the same page, I wanna, I wanna talk medically for just a minute about what anxiety is. See, it's interesting, because of now brain scans that we have in the technology, we can actually observe that, that anxiety is linked to hyperactivity in certain brain areas. Seen as in like the frontal lobes of the cerebral cortex, that when worry is triggered, that's where anxiety begins to develop in our lives. And actually, clinical anxiety is the most common form of mental illness. Uh, at least one in every six adults will spend one year diagnosed with clinical anxiety, and that can be triggered from all sorts of things. It can be triggered from trauma, it can be uh, triggered from loss of a loved one, it can be triggered from world events. And I wanna start this series out because some of you I have asked on social media, you know, hey, if you struggle with anxiety, I'd love to hear your story, I'd love to talk with you, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And here's what I, where I wanna start this series out, just so again, you hear my heart and you know. For those of you who have anxiety that maybe it would fall more on that clinical line, and it's not so much anxious about, oh, did I turn my hairdryer off when I left the house today, or oh, did I pack the kids the right lunches, or you know, oh, I hope my presentation goes well. When it becomes more than that and it becomes more of a clinical thing, here's what I wanna say to you, and I want, you, I want to just kinda take the pressure off of you maybe this series, is there is no shaming that's gonna happen from the stage during this series if that's you. I actually want to commend you for being, for being maybe some of the bravest ones in the room to actually say, hey, you know what? I have a problem, and I'm not going to hide in the shadows, and I'm actually going to go get medical help. The Bible tells us that all good things come down from the Father of lights, and sometimes that can be a really good counselor, and sometimes that can be some really good meds to help us deal and be better parents, be better fathers, be better husbands, be better wives, be better friends. And so you're not going to get from me in this series, well, hey, just work harder. Hey, you just need to do more. You just need to be better. You're not going to get that from me. That's not where we're going. It's not going to be my tone. I'm going to share a lot in this series about how I've failed with my anxiety and some of the steps that I have tried to take to combat my anxiety. Are we all on the same page there? Are we good? Everybody breathing a little bit more, breathing a little bit easier right now? All right. So here's the danger of anxiety. 
The danger of anxiety is this, and this is kind of the bottom line for the whole series. The entire three weeks, we're going to come back to this every week because this is, this is true and this is real for each one of us. The danger of anxiety is this, is that we, what we love the least, which in this case is anxiety, because anxiety has a, 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 there's a temptation there again to withdraw from people. There's a temptation again to, to not be open and honest because we're anxious about these things. So this, this thing, what we love the least in our life can keep us from what we love the most. And so what we're going to do over the next several weeks is we are going to look at God's word. And we're going to look at three different ways that we can combat this anxiety, that we can put an X on anxiety. And here's my, here's my guarantee for you, okay? Here's my promise for you. I am not going to try to help you beat your anxiety. And I cannot make a promise to you that if you come all three weeks and if you sit through 35 minutes every week and you take a lot of notes, you're going to walk out of here and you're going to go, I'm never going to have anxiety ever again. I can't make that promise to you. But just like a soldier, that soldier that we talked about last week as we finished up that series in Ephesians, just like that soldier has, has different tools to combat himself, different weapons to combat himself against the enemy, I want to I try to load you up with three weapons to help you combat the anxiety in your life. And, and I just want to invite everybody in, everybody, I just want to invite you all in to this series because it doesn't matter if you're not a follower of Jesus I pray that this series will help you take steps to be closer to him. I pray that this series will help you take steps to understand his love for you. And if you don't know much about the Bible, you might actually be surprised that there were a lot of people in Scripture who struggled with anxiety. A lot of people struggled. So we're going to look at, at a psalmist today. Most, most writers, most theologians believe that it was probably David. We don't have, again, it's not titled as a, a psalm that he wrote, but, but most scholars believe in the style and kind of the, 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 the language that was used. It was probably David. But even if it wasn't, the truth that we get from this psalm today is so true. So if you've got a Bible, I want to invite you to go to Psalm 102 is where I want you to go. And I think this morning you're going to see yourself, if you have ever even tiptoed into the water of anxiety, I think you're going to see yourself in this psalmist, okay? Everybody there? Here we go. Psalm 102 starts this way. He says, hear my prayer, O Lord. And just listen to the desperation of these first 11 verses. Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. So, I mean, he's already telling us here, his cry for help, man, he's struggling with something. There's something going on that he, he says, hear my prayer, God, my cry to you for help. He says, do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. And the, the Hebrew word there for distress is this word that is sa'ar. Sa'ar is how you would say it. That was the pronunciation. And, and that word in the Hebrew means to tie or to lock up, to be cramped, restricted, hampered, or to harass. He's saying, I am, I am bound up. I am in distress. Hear my prayer. He says, turn your ear to me when I, when I call. Answer me quickly. He's pleading with God here. 
saying, God, I need your help. I need you to come. I'm calling out to you. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I need you to answer me in this moment. Don't make me wait. And then listen to just the, the description and, and, and try to see if maybe you found yourself maybe sensing or feeling or experiencing these things in your own life. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn with glowing embers. Another way to translate that, a writer said another way to translate that is they burn up like an oven. They just hurt. They're just in pain down in the deepest part of my body. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. And he's lost his appetite. He's, he's so distressed. He's, so, he's wrapped up in so much despair and anxiety. He, he just has forgotten to eat his food. In my distress, I groan aloud, and I am reduced to skin and bone. Literally, the Hebrew there says that the skin sticks to my bones. That's how in despair this writer is. He says, I'm like a desert owl. And again, we read that, I, I immediately, I'm not kidding. When I, when I read desert owl, I went, Google, desert owl. There, there isn't a desert owl. What is a desert owl? A desert owl here, the, 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 the connection here is a vulture. Vultures eat things that were once living and now dead. There's not a lot of that in the desert. He's saying, I am, by, by who I am, I can't even be. I'm like a desert owl. I can't eat. I can't do what I'm supposed to do. Like an owl among the ruins, I lie awake. I've become like a bird alone on a roof. Then he goes on. He says, all day long, my enemies taunt me. Those who rail against me use my, my name as a curse. In other words, he's saying that people are using my name to curse others. Imagine if your name was, a, was used as a four-letter word to curse someone else. And that's what the writer here is saying. Things are so bad, my name is actually being used to curse other people. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. And he's sobbing so much. His, his tears are, are getting into his drink. It's just, he, 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 he can't even eat any. It's just ashes around him. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. And again, the Hebrew connotation here is, for as people throw away dirt, he feels useless. He feels worthless in this moment, and he, he wraps this section up, and he says this. My days are like the evening shadow, which means it feels like every day is Groundhog Day. And just like how the evening shadow means that the day is ending, he, he's saying here, every day it's the same thing, and it feels like my life is ending. Now, we don't have to do a show of hands right now, but... I bet as I've read these first 11 verses, you've gone, hey, I've, I've, I've seen myself there. I've experienced that, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. But you found yourself in these words. It could have been a, a random Thursday afternoon and bam, like a freight train coming on you. This sense of despair, this groaning, this longing, this pleading, this crying. Maybe you didn't even know to do that. And I know for me, in my life, that's 
That's been a reality for me. And so what I want to try to help you with today is what, what, what's this first, what's this X that we can put on this anxiety? How do we, how do we combat this? And what we're going to see this psalmist walk us through is something that I believe is so powerful that whether you've been following Jesus for a really short amount of time, I mean, you're just a baby Christian. You're just like, hey, I got to get to church on time. I mean, you're just starting there right now, which some of you have been following Jesus for a long time. You still can't get to church on time. That is not a mark of spiritual maturity, I promise you. I'm just using that as an example. Anyway, moving on. But, but you say, how, what, okay, yeah, man, this is me. What, what should I do? Here's the bottom line. Here's, here's the thing, okay? And then we're going to walk through this. Worship combats anxiety. Worship combats anxiety. Watch what the psalmist writes here. Maybe some of the most powerful, hope-filled words, if you lined them up side by side, you would go, how does this guy come up with this stuff where he's at in this pit of despair? And this is what he says, so powerful, verse 12. But you, Lord... Sit enthroned forever. My days feel like a shadow. It feels like Groundhog Day, God. Every day, my life's coming to an end. This world, its, it's sun is going down on my life. But you, oh Lord, you sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Oh, the sun may feel like it's setting on me, God, but your renown, your renown endures through all generations, generations past, generations future, generations so far down the line, we can't even think about it. Your renown endures through all generations. And so here's the first thing that you can write down about worship is this, is that worship reminds us of what Jesus has done and what he will continue to do. When we combat our anxiety with worship, it is putting square in front of us. This is what Jesus has done in the past. This is what he will continue to do. Your renown will endure through all generations. One of the most powerful moments I've ever experienced in my life of worship. Uh, I took a short-term mission trip. We were down there 13 days in Mexico City. And um, uh, all I'll say is shower water got in my eye. And if you know anything about water in Mexico City, you know what came after that. And I was sick, man. I mean sick. And apparently a lot of us didn't realize that you didn't have to drink the water. And so we all got sick. I mean, everyone, it was, it was awful. And, and I can remember, I was leading worship on the trip, and, and I can remember having just, man, laying in the, in the, in the, bed, in the, in the, the little hotel room, this little, this little seminary that we were staying at, that was, people were so sweet, and they were trying to take care of us as best as they could. And, and I can remember at night, we, we would go down and we would, we would just try to sing together. We would, we would just try to worship together because we, we still wanted to cover this city and this place in prayer and, and bring the praise of Jesus with us. And so I can remember going and, and, and just eking this, these songs out. And I can remember it being so powerful because here's the reality for each one of us. In that moment, as sick as I was and thousands of miles away from home, and man, we couldn't do hardly anything that we had been called there to do, that we wanted to do. All we had was Jesus. That was it. That was all we had in that moment. All we had was Jesus. And, and until Jesus is all you have, you can never fully realize how much Jesus is all you need. 
And so worship, it, it reminds us of what Jesus has done, and it reminds us what he's going to do in the future. That's why I love the lyrics to that song. I've seen you move, come move the mountain, and I believe that you'll do it again. And this is not some mumbo-jumbo, you know, mystical thing. This is practical mind, heart, spirit, soul saying, God, I remember you did this thing back in my past. I remember that when there was no way, you provided a way. I remember when this relationship was broken and fractured, and somehow or another, you pulled it through. And so this situation that I'm in 5, 10, 20 years later, I believe that you can do it again. Worship reminds us of what Jesus has done and what he will continue to do. The second thing is this is that worship reminds us of what is possible with Jesus. It's not just what he's done and what he'll do, it's what is actually possible. Listen to what he says here. If you skip down to verse 18, he says this, let this be written for a future generation. Let this be written for a future generation, just so you'll know what's possible. Let this be written for a future generation that people not yet created may praise God. The Lord. The Lord looked down from his sanctuary on high. From heaven he viewed the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners and release those condemned to death. So the name of the Lord will be declared in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples and the kingdoms assemble to worship the Lord. And you may not be able to remember something right off the top of your head that you thought was impossible, that became possible because of Jesus. But there is something for each one of our lives, in every one of our lives, that we can put a stake in the ground and we can say, this was impossible, and because of Jesus, it became possible. And that was our salvation. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe that you'll do it again. You may not be able to remember that moment, that time. You may not be able to remember that event where God provided a way when there was no way. But in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've experienced a way when there was no way. And that was because Jesus Christ offered himself on your behalf. There was a broken relationship between you and God. It's so simple, and yet it's so complex. There was a broken relationship between you and God, and Jesus stepped in the middle and said, there is no way here, I will be the way. You made a way when there was no way. And when we worship, when we engage in worshiping, we remind ourselves what is possible, not only for us, but for future generations in Jesus Christ alone, because he has already accomplished the impossible. Now, I know we sit quiet. I know you guys are great listeners, but man, if there was ever a spot for like an amen or a clap or a something, man, that was it right there. He has done the impossible. And when we worship, when we worship, it reminds us of that. And I just want to say from a pastor's heart, man, just from, I mean, just, just as tender as I can, there's, there's so much in our world right now that we have to be anxious about. 
There's so much that, again, as, as I, as a, as a dad who's raising kids in a world already that I don't understand, and I look ahead and I try to say, how can I help prepare them now for what I don't understand for a world they're going to live in that they may not understand? And as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, I think that we should have a, maybe anxiety is not the right word, but I, I certainly think that we should have some deep concern about what we see taking place in our world. Yesterday, my, my phone, I, I, I don't get Facebook notifications on my phone, I don't get Instagram notifications, Twitter notifications, none of that, but the one thing that I do have set up is, is, is the news. And yesterday afternoon, my phone erupted in these reports of what was happening in Charlottesville. And, and as the reports, you know, you, 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 you see this news story come through and you just go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this has got to be in another country. This can't be just, just down the street in a way. This, this has got to be in another part of the, no, it's, it's in our backyard. Hate, racism, bigotry, evil. It should cause every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ to say, God, to fix this, it's impossible. It feels impossible. But we know that God's word tells us that with God, all things are possible. And so there's this challenge that's kind of going on in the world right now for people of our color to stand up and to unite together and, and denounce this kind of act and I hunted for the words. I tried to figure out what the words should be, how I should speak into this, because again, we have to talk about this. This is those hard things that are going on in our world that we could come in here and we could talk about worship and God can do the impossible and all of that, and we never mention what's happening to people around us. And there was an author, of one that I really respect. He wrote these words, and I want these words to carry my heart. He says this, let me start by saying that this movement is antithetical to the gospel. It is an abomination to all that we stand for, and it must be condemned on every level of leadership in the church. There is no room for waffling. We cannot sit silent in silence and hope this will pass. And we learned in our series in Ephesians about the racism that existed in, in this day between the Jews and the Gentiles. That there was literally a dividing wall of hostility around the, 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 uh, the temple. And the Gentiles were not allowed to go into the temple and they couldn't even see over this dividing wall. And the good news for each and every one of us is we were those Gentiles. We were the ones that were on the outside of God. And because God did the impossible and made a way for each of us to come back to him. He broke down the dividing wall of hostility, and now we have a responsibility, both spiritually and relationally, to do the same. It's what we have to do. And so you may say, man, I don't have a voice. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. You start by prayer. That's the only thing I know to do, is you just start by praying. I don't know what else to do. You pray for God to radically change and shape the hearts and the lives of the people that we see committing and doing these terrible, terrible, terrible things to our brothers and to our sisters. You see, worship reminds us that with God, 
all things, all things are possible. Verse 25 of this psalm says this. In the beginning you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish. You will perish. I will perish. The things that we build, the cars that we buy, the vacations that we take, the things that we do, it will perish, but don't miss this. But you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them and they will be discarded, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. This is such good news for every one of us that struggles to just make it through the day. That we have a God that not only loves us and has rescued us, he's broke down that dividing wall of hostility. That Jesus, his son, has made a way when there was no way that the most impossible thing was accomplished. But we have a God that never changes. He never shifts. He never moves. In this world that feels like chaos, God is constant for every single one of us. He says, verse 28, the children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. And so the last thing that, that this passage teach us, teaches us about worship and about how to combat our anxiety and, and, and how, we should, how we should approach our anxiety because worship combats our anxiety is this. Worship reminds us of who Jesus is and who we are not. You see, our title, our bank account, the cars we drive, the names that we get called when we walk into the office, the sales presentations that we make, the grades that we get at school, the, the, the 401k that we look back and we, we feel so proud of for all of the years, and I commend you all for, for doing that. They pale in comparison to who Jesus is. Because we've never done the impossible. We will not remain. We didn't lay the foundation of the earth like Colossians 1 says. I love this in the message. It says this, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything, everyone. So spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured out on the cross. You see, worship reminds us of who Jesus is and who we are not. Because see, sometimes in our own life, we can say, well, hey, I'm successful. Hey, I got that promotion. Hey, I, I've accomplished these things. I've got initials before and after my name. I, I've, I've developed this product, and all of those things are great, and we need more followers of Jesus who are successful in the marketplace, who have influence, to influence people to find and follow Jesus. We need that. 
But when it comes to combating your anxiety and you're going to do it on your status, you are going to fail every single time. We combat our anxiety because of who Jesus is. We combat our anxiety because we are reminded of who we are not and who Jesus is. That he made a way when there was no way. That he has accomplished the impossible. And when we do this, here's what happens. You see, each of us, this is what we think of when we think about ourselves. I do this, maybe I'm the only one, I don't know. But here's what happens in my life. I tend to think of myself as I've got this story. I'm, I'm, I'm in a story. And I play the starring role in my story because life is seen through my point of view. And when we remind ourselves of who Jesus is and who we are not, guess what we immediately figure out? That we are not the starring role in our story. We, we don't even really have much of a story in the grand scheme of it all. That if you stretched a rope out from that end of the building to that end of the building and the rope was eight or nine inches thick and that represented the beginning of time and the end of time when all will go be who are followers of Jesus Christ will go be with him in eternity. You could take the smallest little micro dot pin and go up to the tiniest little uh, thread of that rope and put a dot on it and that might represent the significance that we all play in this grand story of God. But here's what's amazing about that. We get to play a part in the story of God. He invites every one of us into that. I love what Louis Giglio says. He's a pastor, author, teacher, incredible influencer. He says that you can either play the starring role in your story that will end when you die, or you can play a tiny role in the grand story of God that will go on for eternity. When we worship, we remind ourselves of who Jesus is and who we are not. Those, those momentary things that we get so worked up about and we get so fixated on and we get so worried about and we just, we just ransack our minds with what's gonna happen. We remind ourselves, we take a step back and we say, I know who Jesus is. And I know who I am not. So the question is, is then who is Jesus in your life? If, if Jesus is essentially how we combat, and that's going to be the thread, spoiler alert, that's the thread that weaves all the way through this series. If Jesus is how we combat, if worship, worshiping Jesus is how we combat our anxiety, it's an X that we can put and say, hey, whoa, I'm ready for battle. Then the question remains, who is Jesus for you and your life? What does Jesus mean to you in your life? What does Jesus represent for you in your life? Does he represent someone who has done the impossible? Or does he represent a character in a big, thick book that your grandmother used to read? The beautiful thing is, is that the invitation is open for every one of us to be a part of this grand story of God. And the beautiful thing is for each one of us that wrestle with anxiety, when you wake up in the morning, your feet hit the ground and your mind starts swirling or you can't go to sleep tonight because of all the things that are going through your mind, Jesus invites every one of us in to say, hey, worship me. 
Worship me. Remind yourself of who I am. Remind yourself that I've done the impossible. Remind yourself that I have been and will always be. Remind yourself of that. So how do we, how do, we do this? What does this look like? Well, the Bible speaks of worship all through the book. All through it, it speaks of worship. And we should probably circle back up at some point and just do a whole sermon series on what worship is. I mean, Romans 12 says to offer your whole bodies as a living sacrifice, that that is holy and pleasing, an act of worship to the Lord. But, but when we gather together and, and when you go home, what, what can you do? What, what can you fill your life with? What can point your attention upward, lift your eyes away from your circumstances and fix it on something else than you and your circumstance? The easiest thing that I know to do to combat is to sing. Is to fill your life with the hope that comes from the lyrics of some of the songs that we sing. To fill your life with the promises that, that, that are contained in music. Because music is very emotional. When we sang that song, I believe that you'll do it again, I sat on that front row and I began to think of some of those moments in my life that correlate with those lyrics. I began to think about the moment three, four years ago when Kelly was pregnant and there was a cyst on, on her ovary that was the size of a tennis ball and we didn't know if it was cancer and we didn't know if we were literally gonna roll out of the operating room from a, from a C-section straight into potentially cancer diagnosis. And I'm sitting on the front row and I'm, I'm hearing those words and I believe that you'll do it again and I remember we named the tumor Laverne. I don't know if you guys have heard me tell that story because we didn't want to talk about it in front of the kids. Sorry to anybody named Laverne. I apologize for that. But we named the tumor Laverne so we could talk about it. And the doctor even knew that we had named it Laverne. And so we had a game plan, man. We were in there. We were ready to go. And Cody comes out and he's screaming like he still screams. And he, he comes out and he's screaming and, and, and it's silent. Not him, he's still screaming, but I'm waiting on the doctor and 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 we got people praying and we've been singing and we've been hoping and we've been believing because in that moment we remembered, God, you've done it, you've moved the mountains and I believe that you'll do it again. And that carried us up to that moment. And in that moment the doctor said, I kid you not, Laverne's gone. And now that becomes a moment when we look back and we go, God, we don't know. We, there's no way. But I believe that you can do it again because I remember that. I'm reading. Sorry, i got to wrap up. i got four seconds. I, so I told you I've been living with this since January. I'm fired up today. I'm reading through the book of Joshua. And there's this moment that comes when God finally says, it's time to go over. It's time to cross over and go. And what's the first thing that Joshua does? He tells the priest, take 12 stones and set up a memorial to the Lord and that your, so that your children's children, when they see those 12 stones, and I don't think they were pebbles, I think they were boulders, so that when your children's children see those and they ask, what do those stones mean? They can relay the story of what God has accomplished. And that's what worship does for us. It relays the story into our hearts and our lives of what God has accomplished. I've seen you move, you move the mountains, and I believe 
that you'll do it again. You made a way when there was no way. And I believe that you'll do it again. I'm going to ask the team to come on up. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond by taking the Lord's Supper. We do this every week. This is not something we're just doing today. We do this every week. Because the Lord's Supper reminds us of what was impossible became possible by the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to run long today because this long-winded preacher stood up here and preached eight months worth of what he's been living, and I apologize. So we're going to run a little long today. But the team's going to lead us in a couple of songs. And here's what I want to invite everybody to do. I want to invite everybody, this is the passage we're going to look at in the coming weeks, to cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. And to bring those anxieties before him and to say, God, I I need a way, and there's no way. But I believe that you're going to do it again. The other thing that is going to happen if you've got the YouVersion app, Randy has created a playlist some of you guys don't know where to start. It's like, I'll just flip on the radio and hope I find something. That's not a good way to do this. So Randy created a playlist of some of the songs that we sing around here, some of the songs we're going to be singing around here, some of the songs we, he and I just both love. And it's just a start. It's in the YouVersion app. You can find it. It's on Spotify. It's also going to tweet out here in about 10 minutes on the Facebook page. So you can find it there too. Take that, save it on, on Spotify. And the next time you need to combat that anxiety with worship, you put that on. And you see what God begins to do in your life.